Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the topics of security, technology, society, and human meaning. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that curates tens of hours of reading into a concise 15-minute summary, as well as regular episodes featuring essays, interviews, and book reviews on these same topics. The goal is to provide a weekly, concise, and curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right, welcome to episode 323. This is Daniel Miesler, starting off with security news. Google's tag group has uncovered a new initial access broker called Exotic Lily, which they say is working with the cybercrime gang known for the Conti and Diavol ransomware operations. And quick primer on initial access brokers, they basically gain initial access into a company, and then they go into forums and sell it. So they say, hey, look, I've got access to this company. Here's everything we have control over, and here's how much I'm going to charge you for it. The FBI is warning of an MFA flaw in Duo that allowed Russian state actors to compromise an NGO. The flaw involves attacking weak passwords on an unenrolled and inactive account that hasn't yet been disabled in Active Directory. CISA and the FBI are warning SATCOM providers to stay alert to threats against their networks. This comes after the disruption of broadband satellite internet access in Ukraine. Sponsor for this week is Fastly with the Department of No Live, a series of 15-minute conversations and live Q&As with experts on web app and API security. You've probably been to dry security webinars that resort to fear-mongering. At Fastly, we're tired of the security status quo as well. That's why we created the Department of No Live Virtual Speaker Series. Every Thursday in March, Kelly Shortridge of Fastly and Bea Hughes of PagerDuty will host 15-minute conversations and live Q&As with security leaders that cover everything from how we define success in modern security to how security falls short of developer expectations and why we can't ignore asset management. And you can register at the link in the newsletter. Google's tag says Chinese state-based attackers are targeting Ukrainian government organizations. A cybersecurity company out of Germany called BSI says you shouldn't use Kaspersky's AV software. And there's actually a correction to this. That was the text that was in the newsletter. It's not a cybersecurity company. This is like a German government organization around cyber. It's called BSI. So yeah, they are the ones warning people that, look, if you have Kaspersky installed, you know, the government could potentially get access to that because it is a Russian company and you might be putting yourselves at risk. And their warnings seem less directed perfectly at Kaspersky and more on the fact that Russian company software embedded in companies could be used by the government as an attack vector, which I think a lot of people have been saying for years. And currently the issue is just very acute. China appears to be expanding one of its major naval shipyards by around 50%. DJI is getting pressure to get more involved in the war in Ukraine because both sides are using their drones for war. In one example, a Ukrainian official calls on DJI to stop Russians from using their drones from guiding missiles. Most QNAP devices are vulnerable to the dirty pipe Linux vulnerability. Cowbell, a cyber insurance platform that does AI-assisted continuous assessment of risk, has raised $100 million. We got a story this week, a piece of custom content talking about the future of InfoSec, potential future of InfoSec just kind of riffing around some ideas. And one of them is essentially insurance-based cybersecurity with AI systems 
that drop onto your network and receive a bunch of inputs. And I've been talking about this for years. Jeremiah has been also talking about this for years, or at least the insurance part. And this is it. I mean, this is a company that drops a box onto the network and uses ML to determine how much they should charge you premiums. And I, I think that's really, really interesting and a little bit frightening. Sentinel-1 is purchasing Ativo Networks for $616 million. And technology news. Tencent is cutting 20% of its workforce as a result of Chinese government pressure and the economic downturn in the country. And Russian demand for VPNs has gone up over 2,600%. That, to me, is a good sign, actually, that they're trying to get information from other places. Human news, the James Webb Telescope has sent back a brilliant image of a star, and the background is full of galaxies, kind of like the deep field image. And I cannot wait to see more from this device. It is just unbelievably amazing. hundred times more sensitive than Hubble. Just can't wait to see what this thing does. A new study has found bidirectional association between Alzheimer's and daytime napping. Didn't want to nap anyway during the day. I wonder why this is. They didn't say, because you know how papers are. They don't talk about conjecture. They just say what actually happened. But I wonder if this is because daytime sleep messes up nighttime sleep. And the deep sleep from nighttime sleep is super critical to cognitive health. That I wonder if that could be one of the issues. Or if it's something else entirely. No idea. But I can't wait to see the uh, follow-up studies here. And in the largest study of its kind, ivermectin was shown not to reduce COVID hospitalizations, which we'll have to see what Eric Weinstein says about that. I mean, a giant peer-reviewed study, the biggest of its kind, which continues to show no results whatsoever. Goodness, strange times. Content ideas and analysis. The Consumer Authentication Strength Maturity Model, CASM, version 6. So I updated the CASM model to version 6 with this version's focus being on the distinction between app and token-based codeless MFA options because of phishing, essentially, which is what I'm going to mention in the next story as well. And as a refresher, the model basically gives people a visual way to understand the authentication security on their important accounts. And the next item here is a kind of expansion piece on that called Not All MFA is Equal, and the differences matter a lot. And it's on the most important factor in all MFA systems, which is anti-phishing defense. The updated version of the CASM model, which I just talked about, makes it more clear that only levels 7 and 8 are codeless options. And all the other options are still vulnerable to phishing because they provide the user with an actual code, which they can copy and paste or send an email or give to someone over the phone, which makes you still vulnerable to phishing or vishing. And the last one here, which I just wrote this weekend, Thoughts on the Future of InfoSec, a new piece that talks about how I see the information security industry developing as it moves out of its teen years and into its 20s and 30s. If you like thinking about where security is going, I highly recommend you check that one out. And next one here, Google has opened the door to Cloudflare, how Google has allowed Cloudflare to take an increasing share of internet services by failing to innovate and being unresponsive to customers. Next idea here, environmentalism isn't about the earth. So I was listening to Gary Kasparov talk about Ukraine, and he casually mentioned something at the end of the show that I thought was really interesting. He said, the earth will be fine. 
It's the people that we're worried about. And I'd heard this statement or argument or position or whatever before, but somehow it hit different this time. Or maybe I just know more about the history of the earth and I realize how resilient it is. Either way, I find it quite fascinating to think about how many people, when they think about environmentalism, they're worried about the health of the earth. Like when you worry about the health of a human, you, you think about that human is going to die. But the earth itself is not going to die. The earth barely even notices that we're here. We could do the absolute worst to the earth, right? We could extinguish all, virtually all species, and we could blow ourselves up, kill all humans with nuclear weapons and biological warfare or whatever. And in a few thousand years, which is like a blink of an eye, the earth would be like, whatever. Like within a few thousand years, you could fly over and not even tell that we were here. It would all be grown over. And in a few more years, you know, millions or a few hundred million years, there'd be a whole new set of species. And it would be, we would just be another blip. Because we've already had several of these happen. We've already had mass extinction events. Things pop back up. They get destroyed for whatever reason. They pop back up. And we would just be another iteration of that. So I'm actually guilty of this confusion myself. And it was a reminder, hearing this from Kasparov, to keep in mind that it's better to be nice to the planet, but that if we're not nice to the planet, it'll be the people that suffer here, not the Earth. I'm not sure why, but this does help me. Because I, I was feeling bad about people and the earth, and now I can just feel bad about the people. Maybe because I see the earth as helpless, kind of like caring more for an animal suffering than a human. Not sure what the dynamic is there, but I feel like this did reduce a little bit of stress around the environment, because it's just the people, not the planet. planet will be fine. Notes. I think I'm giving up on Brandon Sanderson novels. I didn't really like Mistborn that much. And I got through like the third book of Way of Kings. I just finished that one. And I think Way of Kings was just kind of messy. Too much going on, haven't been sold properly, and why sh I should actually care. And he seems to just keep introducing complexity and raising the scale and everything. It just, I don't know. I think there's one example where I just need to bail from the series if, if you're not having fun. And I think there's only one other book, so I'm just going to get out of that one. Um, he did release just like five new novels and I hear he has different styles in a lot of his writing. So I, I might pick something up later if it's a different enough type of style. I did really like the magic system in, in that, uh, series. So I, I will give a lot of credit there. The magic system was awesome. It was very consistent, well thought out. So that was cool. And I'm really enjoying the cradle series, which I think I'm in like book 10. It's more young adult, honestly, but it has a clear direction and a focus that I'm really enjoying. And I'm definitely looking for a more serious fantasy series, if there, such a thing exists. So if anyone has any recommendations, let me know. I'm basically thinking like Game of Thrones or Name of the Wind type vibe. Discovery. How Kremlin accounts manipulate Twitter. Netflix's most popular shows. This is why autocracies fail. The sound team for Dune used Rice Krispies for the crunching sounds. 10 of the 53 cybersecurity unicorns to watch. Make sure you have everything vital. This is from Wholesome Memes on Twitter. It's fantastic. OSINT. Researcher Avi Lumelski demonstrates how he found thousands of open databases on AWS. OSINT. Ben Benmead shows how to extract URLs from an in map scan. OSINT. Enrich. Like N 
R-I-C-H, a new tool by Shodan that provides fast IP enrichment. You basically feed it a list of IPs and it tells you open ports, whether there are known vulnerabilities associated and a bunch of other stuff. Really cool tool. And malware, ARIA, a tool by Clarity that creates pseudo-malicious files that trigger Yara rules. And the recommendation of the week. If you do any type of content creation, there's a secret I've been circling around for a number of years now. It's best captured as a quote from Martin Scorsese, which is, the most personal is the most creative. Then more recently, I heard someone say that the key to creating good content is sharing your secrets. That was like on Twitter or somewhere. This got me thinking, and I think the answer is this. It's not possible to perfectly know what resonates with others. But the safest bet is to share something that resonates deeply with you. Because the odds are that particular joke or that particular moment that makes you laugh or cry will also do the same for someone else. So share what resonates deeply with you, even if you feel like it's a secret. And if you're in content creation, don't worry about sharing secrets. Just keep doing it and people will keep coming back. Aphorism for the week. Burnout is not caused by overwork. It's caused by spending too long on work that lacks vision, has a vision you don't agree with, or where you feel unable to make progress. Burnout is not caused by overwork. It's caused by spending too long on work that lacks vision, has a vision you don't agree with, or where you feel unable to make progress. And that one's by me. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time.